or verse, should I say, and we'll get to that, but we'll read it from verse 1. Uh, Isaiah 52, from verse 1. just want to share some things that the Lord's been putting in my heart about Scotland and, of course, Britain and the nations at this time. And, and it's all mentioned here. But what I want to do is show you that what the Lord has been revealing to us First of all, in our eyes, Scotland, for quite some time, but also to a remnant army group, that it all happens, and in a sense must happen, from Scotland. And we'll see why that is, and, and, and many of you are aware of that. Um, and many of you are awake. We're not woke. We're awake. There's a difference. In fact, it's not just a difference. Woke and awake are two polar opposites. Amen? Because I don't know what those woke folks have woke to, but it ain't the truth. Amen? It's, it's the lies and deceit and delusion and deception that's all around us. So Isaiah 52 verse 1 says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. So God's command is that we be awakened, that we be awake. It's not just a nice idea. It's not an optional extra. It's awake. Awake, awake. Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. God is building a city. Okay, we are living stones, lively stones in a house that becomes a, a, a temple, in a sense, that becomes a city, the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a cube. And it's made up of living stones. You know, Babylon is built with bricks, which are man-made. So man's hand is in the building of Babylon. But it's God who makes a, a city without human hands. So Zion or Jerusalem is the holy city. And we're not talking about that city over in uh, the, the land of the Israeli state right now. And we're not talking even about ancient Jerusalem. We're talking here because Isaiah is a prophet. And from about chapter 40 onwards, Isaiah is addressing a Zion, a people of God, in the isles or in the coastlands or in the ends of the earth. And he's talking to a future generation of God's people. He's not really speaking to the people around him. And he's not really even speaking to a people that are, if you like, in a, in a short-term future from. He's talking to people in the end times. So, folks, he's talking to you and I. You, you'll not get almost, if you understand what I'm saying here, please don't say, misquote me here. You'll not get the, the, closer to the New Testament, I'll say it that way, than by Isaiah's prophecies. Because he's addressing this group in Niles, and we'll see that at the ends of the earth. He says, for henceforth shall, there shall be, or no more come into thee, the uncircumcised and the unclean. And that's a prophetic message too because he's saying there's coming a time when there won't be any uncircumcised or unclean counted among God's people. Now, that's talking 
prophetically about the church, the ecclesia, the folks with the new birth. You, you can't be unrighteous and be part of this. In order to be part of this, to be a living stone, to be part of the holy city, to be awake, you have to be born again. You have to, to have that relationship with God uh, through the new birth. Ye must be born again. It's, it's not just, oh, well, that's boring, that's repetitive, we've heard that message. It's more pertinent now than ever it was. You must be born again because entry to God's kingdom, entry to Jerusalem or the holy city or Zion, whatever you want to call it, the ecclesia, entry to that is not uh, something you earn or attain. You have to be born into it. You have to be born into the kingdom of God. Shake, and here we have a, a contradiction. Shake thyself from the dust, arise, sit down. Shake thyself from the dust, now, arise, sit down. What does that mean? This is talking about back in those days to be in a place of mourning. To be in a place of penitence or sorrow or mourning, you would get down, literally, down in the dust. Like we would say, on your face before God. But people would do that, they would go down and they would be in the dust before God. And he says, arise, shake yourself from the dust. Now there's also a message there that tells us as spiritual men and women, throw off the dust, throw off the things of flesh, shake them off. Okay, uh, and, and by the way, we'll look at this in a minute, but there's, there's a lot here, and there's a lot here for the remnant. Leave the carnal, the fleshly, the, the things of, the man of dust behind, Adamic man. Leave the flesh behind. Arise and sit down. How do you, if you're down there, he says, arise and sit down. Now what he's talking about here, and it's in the Hebrew, is Sit on a prepared throne. Sit and be enthroned, it says. Now, what they used to have to do uh, back then uh, is when they made thrones for dignitaries or nobles or kings, they didn't make them like uh, chairs here or those pews. They would always make them high. And so you literally had to climb into them. Solomon had to climb into his throne. So thrones were always high, and thus, they always needed a footstool. Thrones in those days always had a footstool because it wasn't dignified for a king to sit and dangle his legs. Okay? He had to have a footstool. Okay? So, he's saying here, shake yourself from dust. Get up from the dust. Get up from the dust, church. Get up from the dust, you doer-faced, moaning-faced, modeling Christians and take your true place. That's what we keep saying, isn't it, Cam? That's what we keep saying. Am I right? Stop with the old wineskin, we're just worms, you know, idea. Stop being beggars and mendicants before God and start being who you're called to be because you cannot be a remnant saint and change nations if you're in that old wineskin. Which is, I'm no use to God, I'm no worthy, I'm, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. I've had a bad thought last night. 
Now we need to stop all that. And what it really means is be mature. Be who you're called to be. Deal with any issues. Shake the dust off you, which means get yourself right. And then take your place on a throne. Loose thyself from the bands of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And he's talking to us. Aren't we captive right now? I'm not saying we in this room are. But what I'm saying is, there's loads of Christians out there. We've been talking about that a lot within the group recently, about those folks that are in bondage. Uh, Karen knows who I mean by this. I'm not going to name names because some of you know them. In fact, I know some of you know them. We met a couple the other day. Am I right? An absolute COVID zealot. Consumed with this. Am I right? Consumed with this. Consumed with who's had it. He had it. Only a couple of weeks ago. And he's bursting to tell me. And all, oh, they've had the COVID and he's had it. And, he's, and, and kept shoving his mask up. Because I felt like saying, well, surely if you're a COVID evangelist, you can get yourself a mask that fits. It was so, I'm a, well, you weren't there at that point, but just kept doing this. I thought, that's bondage in itself, having to keep shoving the thing out of his footer. Because I was standing without a mask and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm unclean. And then, of course, it was, it was in a shop we met them and then we went, to, we went to the cafe after and I said to Agnes, so-and-so, I saw they could talk about is, is the COVID and the protocols. Didn't know he was sitting over the wall from me. And obviously, I, I, Agnes thinks he heard me anyway. Who cares? I didn't care. I wasn't, you know... I'm not in bondage. Amen. And I'm not, going to, I'm not going to join this fella in his bondage or anybody else in theirs. Because, but, but we are a captive daughter of Zion because part of the church, a lot of the church, a good part of the church is in bondage to this stuff. And we may need to make that decision that we're not going to be, but we're also going to lead people out of captivity as, as the Zion and remnant of God. For thus saith Yahweh, ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. You've sold yourselves for nothing. Amen. That's a horrible thing to think. You've sold. It's not just, oh, you made a mistake, you poor thing. Oh, well, God, God loves you, God. You've sold yourselves. For nothing, he said. And then he says, Thus saith the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, or to, to dwell there. Then the Assyrian pressed them, oppressed them without cause. We're talking about oppression, folks. We're not talking about, you know, people say, well, you know, yeah, you've not experienced what people elsewhere in planet Earth have done, other Christians have done. Uh, you've not had the persecution, the tribulation they have. No, you're right. But folks, that's the trajectory. And it's the same spirit in the politicians in Scotland and in Britain as in those persecutors over there. It's an antichrist spirit and it's a persecuting spirit. And once they and, and, and they're pushing and pushing and pushing till they get to them, if you like, the freedom to really make our lives hell on earth. Because what what they're what they're about is from hell anyway. 
Then he says, Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught, or my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, or make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. You see, how is, how is God's name blasphemed? I'll tell you something right now how his name is blasphemed is that our beloved Scottish government or whoever the authorities have dreamed this one up, is that if you've seen it in the papers, I don't know if I put it on the group, I think I did actually, on the WhatsApp group, but that the government here in Scotland, in their wisdom, their devilish sensual wisdom, have decided that there will now be sanitary products, ladies' sanitary products, and gents' toilets. Oh boy, am I glad. Amen. I've, I've been waiting for that for years. That's sarcasm, folks. But think about the wickedness of that. And I believe that that is blaspheming God's name. Amen. God made them male and female. And you know, I've yet to find a man that needs a sanitary product. I've met a few who are. But that's a whole other thing. Anyway, praise the Lord. Shouldn't, shouldn't say that from the pulpit. Well, I just did, don't care. This is therefore my people shall know. This is the promise. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. I'm taking that as a promise for us as remnant saints. That there's coming a day that people will know his name. His name is transformative. His name will change you. Because his name is in our DNA. Think about that. He's saying there'll come a day when people will say, all that DNA altering stuff, that's, that's not going to work. We have to know his name. I believe he's referring you to DNA. Then he says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, or who brings good news, the gospel in other words, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation and who says to Zion, your God reigns. Or we would say in the New Covenant era, Jesus is Lord. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord. The gospel is, is that he is in control. The gospel is that what he allows, and I put that in inverted comments, comments, sorry, um, because I don't believe that God allows it, but it happens and it happens for a purpose. And that purpose is that he shows he's Lord. And, and that is achieved through remnant saints. And I have to say this, folks, no others. Though God may use others, and of course the angelic hosts, he's Lord of hosts, so the angelic uh, creatures that he has made to minister to us and minister for us, but there's nobody else involved in this. Nominal Christians, liberal Christians, deceived Christians, fear-filled fear Christians, and fear-mongering Christians are not part of this. But the Lordship of Jesus will be established in the earth. And it will be done through his remnant people. So, thy watchmen shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing. Their voices he shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. The Lord shall bring again Zion. 
And that's what we're needing. That's what we're talking about. That's what the Lord's been speaking to me about. And in fact, we had this yesterday at a Rise Scotland meeting uh, yesterday morning. And we, 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 the Lord was saying to us, Zion is coming back to Scotland, folks. The church is going to be great again. Uh, I read, I think, that little, I don't think I've got one handy, the prophecy of Richard Cameron, who, who prophesied that in the end times, the church in Scotland would be mighty, majestic, stately, all these words he used. We won't just be a wee remnant huddled together. We will be riding on top of the mountains. And that's what he's saying here, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him. And I've always said this, I've got beautiful feet because I preach the gospel. If, if you are a Christian, you've got beautiful feet. They're beautiful to God. Amen. They're not smelly. They're not horrible looking. They're beautiful. But you see what he says here, how beautiful upon the mountains. That's not talking, well, we've got mountains in Scotland. He's talking about the Cairngorms. The mountains in Scripture are a metaphor for kingdoms, nations, powers, empires. And he's saying that they're going to be upon the mountains. Not under the mountains, not climbing up the mountain, not coming round the mountain when she comes. <laughs> upon the mountains. Which means on top of the mountains, and the mountains are under us. And that's talking about nations. And we are not the only remnant saints in the earth. Thank God we're hooked up and connected with remnant saints in other parts of the world. We're talking about Terry and guys like that over in Oregon, is it? I think Terry is. Yeah. The remnant of God is rising in the earth. The remnant army. And we're all part of that. Some of us have visions of that. I had visions of the remnant in Britain over 40 years ago, I know it's, you might think, oh, you, you couldn't have been born then, you couldn't have been alive then, but I was. But I had those visions of a remnant army in Britain because I had visions of where we're living right now. And the government was our enemy. Let's not play games anymore with all this stuff. Well, the government, they mean well, but all that junk. The government are our enemy. They were the enemy of the covenanters. You see, well, we're not living in covenanting times. Keep going the way it is, we will be. We'll be meeting here by candlelight or meeting in some moor or something or some cave. Then it says, How beautiful upon the mountains, on top of the mountains. And that reminds me of Isaiah chapter 2. Let's keep your finger in Isaiah 52. Just go to chapter 2. You know, there's so much in Isaiah. And it says here, It shall come to pass, verse 2, in the last days. Are we in the last days, folks? Amen. Amen. That the mountain of the Lord's house, chapter. Isaiah chapter 2, uh, verse 2, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, not in, in the middle of the mountains, under the mountains in a cave, hiding somewhere on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion 
shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from, from Jerusalem. And then he talks about judging between the nations and beating our swords into plowshares. And we're speaking about that this morning in relation to remembering Sunday because it says they'll learn war no more. They'll learn war no more. And who starts these wars? I'll tell you who. Wicked governments. Amen? Amen. Now, we've been blessed in the past that as, as God's battle axe, I would say in many ways in Britain, we've been used of God to put down tyrants and despots and all these types of things. God used us because we were a righteous nation, a Christian nation, a holy nation. But folks, the enemy's not out there anymore. The enemy's within. The wicked governments, the tyrannical governments, the aggressors, the oppressors, they're in Westminster and Holyrood. They're not in Berlin and all these places. You know, we're not fighting Napoleon anymore. We're not fighting Hitler or Mussolini or all these people from far off lands. It's not Johnny Foreigner. It's our own people who've turned against the Lord and have risen up as tares among the wheat and said, vote for me and I'll do all these things. And the minute you vote for them, they don't do those things, but they do those things that they really wanted to do in the first place, which is tyranny and wickedness and depravity and so on. But he says here, back in Isaiah 52, he says this, uh, Thy watchman shall lift up the voice, and we read that, break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, the Lord has, verse 10, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. Where's God going to do this, folks? Where's God? You see, when, he, when, when he's talking about laying bare his holy arm, what does that mean? Does that mean he's just going to wear a T-shirt? God's, God's going to wear a T-shirt or a muscle coat. Think about this. That's not what he's saying here. It's a covenant term. Okay? And Isaiah speaks about this a lot. He speaks about the hand of God. He speaks about the arm of the Lord. He speaks about the raised right hand. He speaks about bearing his holy arm. And what it means is, and this is what would happen back then, if you went into conflict with another nation or another group or another army, and someone maybe would step forth, maybe as a surprise, Okay? Now, when these enemies came against, I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. When these enemies would come against Israel, and they would say, look at puny wee Israel. Their God has abandoned them. So we're going to plunder them. We're going to, again, we're going to ransack Jerusalem. We're going to take the city. Uh, we're going to bring, bring them captive. And when it says here, the Lord has made bare his holy arm, what it meant was, what it means is, God steps forth and says, you need to see something. So he would pull back his sleeve. And what people would see is covenant scars. Because that's where you made covenant would be the right hand or in the arm or in the wrist. There would be covenant scars because it's referring to the hand clasp where two covenant partners 
would cut their arms, cut their, their, their hands, and hand clasped together, and it would be tied round so that the blood of one would flow into the other, and vice versa. And God is saying, I'm, I'm in covenant with these people. There's my scars. You ever wondered why Jesus' crucifixion wounds weren't healed when the disciples he appeared to them? He says, put your, put your hands, because they're covenant scars for eternity. It's an eternal record that it was covenant blood and a covenant act that saved us, redeemed us, and delivered us. And making bare his holy arm, it says, he made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. What that meant was, everybody look, I am the covenant God of Israel. And he's still saying that today, folks. He's still saying that today. So he's bearing his arms in the eyes of all the nations. And I believe that in the spirit, if you like, the spirit realm or the spiritual realm, whatever, that's what God did during COP. All the nations are here. That's why they're here. And they might not have seen it, but he's, I believe he still did it. Because they don't, they don't see anyway. But it was recorded. That's just my... But the Lord makes bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now here's where it gets electrifying. And I shared this this morning in our morning service, and the folks arise, they know this, and we, we, we speak about it quite a bit. The ends of the earth, back in those days, did not mean what you and I would maybe mean by the ends of the earth. We would say, oh, the ends of the earth, which means as far as you can go, or the far-flung corners of the globe, you know, you could say, well, I, I, I sent that thing out, and it, and it went to the far-flung corners of the globe. We mean as far as it could go. But that's not what these folks understood by the ends of the earth. It was a specific geographical term that they understood uh, to mean what the Romans called Ultima Thule, which meant to say the end of the world. And it normally referred to the northwest coast of Europe and specifically the British Isles. And, to be more exact, Scotland. Now, the Romans built two walls, the Hadrian's Wall and the Antonine Wall, and people, people speculated about that to think, well, why would the Romans build these walls? We know why. Because it was to keep those picks from invading England. But more recent archaeological research and you know, a more up-to-date view of that among many historians is not that it was these walls were built to keep people going south, but to keep sorry to, to keep people from going north. And there was a simple reason for that. The Romans regarded Scotland as very, very sacred in the Holy Land. Now I'm not talking about they, but they believed in Yahweh or they believed in Jesus. They just had this idea of what Scotland is. You don't go there. It's not meant to be common ground, common land. It's meant to be kept apart. And I believe that that is what, is why it was called the, the ends of the earth. It's referred to quite a lot. I think Jeremiah calls it that as well at one stage, but certainly Isaiah uses that term. 
and speaks about the islands. And, to, and he's speaking to an end-time generation of God's people, Zion, in the isles, in the ends of the earth. Now, who's that then? It has to be Christians, doesn't it? So, now, we believe, we believe it in the eyes of Scotland, I know some of you believe this, maybe all of you do, that what God is going to do in the earth in these coming days, and it's, I believe has started, started through the remnant, he's going to, the mighty work of God that's coming, and we all believe that, and I hope we do, it's going to begin in Scotland. Now, Jean Dernal, of course, had her famous visions. Other people, Jean is not the only one that had these visions. Other people had them as well. And I actually had that same vision before I really knew about the Jean Dernal one. And other people have. Famous folks and just people that... Is that God's going to move in Scotland. It's going to, in effect, engulf the UK and then go over to Europe and it'll be a worldwide revival. Now, I'm not saying God's not going to move elsewhere. I don't, you know, but... Well, I just think we can just say, well, it's going to start at all in Scotland. But one of the things the Lord has been, and I want, I want to just bring all this stuff together, just, just to share with you folks, uh, that the Lord's sort of been revealing to us. I shared this yesterday. I wasn't speaking yesterday, but I, I did share it um, at the Rise Scotland. Is because it was mentioned about Glasgow and how important Glasgow is. And I believe the Lord said to me before the meeting, and has been putting on my heart, and, I, and I'll just say it boldly, I believe, because the Jean Dernal vision, and her vision, it started in the north of Scotland, if you, know, if you know that. The great move of God will start in the north of Scotland, the very top part of Scotland, and come down the east coast, flash inland, and then over. But I believe there's going to be a catalyst for that, and I believe what the Lord has been revealing to us is that Glasgow is key to taking Scotland. And Glasgow is key for that to happen. I don't know entirely how. I've got, I've got an inkling, if you want to call it that. It's not a spiritual word, but I've got a... But in other words, we have to take Glasgow first. And one of the reasons we have to take Glasgow first is so much of the darkness, so much of the wickedness, so much of the depravity and so much of the political power that is antichrist is centered and based here in Glasgow. It's not in other parts of Scotland. I'm not saying there aren't pockets of it, but Glasgow is the place. That's why the enemy um, has come, and somebody yesterday said the division with the, 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 the devil had come to Glasgow. Now, uh, you know, and it was a great vision or a dream they had. And why would they have that? Because he has. Right? And the, the COP26 is proof of that. Why would all that happen? Because the devil knows his time is short and the devil knows that this city, this city founded by Mungo, not for mercantile or commercial or political or military reasons, but purely and simply to be a community of the gospel and the cathedral is just over the motorway and it's believed that Mungo himself preached on this very hill that the church sits on. So all these things coming together, and we've not even touched the Richard McPhee prophecies, which is, if we started that, we'd be here till midnight. But folks, I just believe the Lord is saying to us, we're here, at, it's a momentous time, and we're here at this time. Everybody in this room, I believe, God has chosen for this purpose, and others, not just those here.
the purpose of being part of this remnant move of God, being part of what God wants to do in Scotland, through Scotland, and as we keep saying, Scotland is to be the chief of the nations. That doesn't mean that the strongest, the most militarily powerful and all that, but you know, you can have a power in God that's far greater, and that power means that you'll sit on top of all the other mountains. And it says all the nations will flow. All the kingdoms, all the mountains, they'll say, these guys have got the answer. These guys have got something we need. These people have heard from God, and I'm going to say this, in order to walk in that, or in order to be recognized, we have got to walk in, in the, 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 the miracle power of God. This isn't just intellectual, you know, oh yes, it's an intellectual powerhouse, or these aren't just ideas, concepts, or principles of government. It has to be based in the supernatural. It has to be Holy Ghost and fire. It has to have that element to it that all the other great moves of God have had in the past and yet more besides. It has to have that. And it says, you know, the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Well, let's just say, let's just put that little word there. Instead of saying all the ends of the earth, let's say, Scotland shall see the salvation of our God. Scotland shall see the salvation. And when Scotland sees the salvation of our God, which means Scotland will be saved, and the people of Scotland will be saved, and I think that means revival, harvest, folks getting literally saved, born again, but it means the nation will be saved from Antichrist, from Babylon, and be a haven nation. And not just Scotland, folks. This is about Britain. But, you know, put it this way, Britain is, is done for unless Scotland first sees the salvation of our God. Depart ye, depart ye, go out from hence. Touch no unclean thing. Uh, go out, go ye out of the midst. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Just want to say this, we're not going to walk in this unless we're walking in holiness. The Bible says, holiness without which no man will see the Lord. If we're not walking right with God, and we're just, you know, roll up, stroll up, casual, hey man, God's going to move, you know, we're, we're part of the team, forget it. This has to be a complete sellout of everything that we are, all our reputations, everything. We're sold out for Jesus. And, and, and we're, we're fervent in holiness. So be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Remember that. An old man to remind you to love speaking in that. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your re-reward. What he's saying here is, it's not going to happen in fear or panic. It has to be in faith and in confidence. So folks, that's it. Um, I could go on, but I, 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 don't, I want to just draw a line there. What I do want to do, just very quickly, I should have done this, I'll just very quickly do this. I'll read some of this in the Passion Translation just before we, we actually close. Um, it says here, Wake up, open your eyes. Beautiful Zion, put on your majestic strength. Jerusalem, the sacred city, put on your glory garments. Never again will the unclean enter your gates. Arise and shake off your dust. I like this bit. Sit enthroned. 
Jerusalem. Don't just sit in a pew. Don't just sit on the floor. You know, I'm not saying stand up, folks. I'm just saying he means sit enthroned. Sit as a king or a queen for you ladies. Break off your shackles of bondage from your neck, you captive daughter of Zion. Zion. And then it says here, watch this. Uh, what a beautiful sight to behold, the precious feet of the messenger coming over the mountains to announce good news, announcing salvation to Zion and saying, your mighty God reigns. And watch this, it says, Yahweh has unveiled his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, to the ends of the earth, everyone everywhere will see the salvation of God. And just to say this, when it says, uh, arise and shake off your dust, that word shake is the Hebrew word nar, which means shaking out, the shaking out of a lion's mane or the shaking up and down. And it is a, another way of saying to growl like a lion's roar. Amen. And you know, it's no accident that we picked that line with the main as the uh, as the symbol of a remnant army thing. The line with the main that's on all our stuff. Uh, I didn't pick it because of that, but the Lord did. Amen. So praise God. That's that, folks. Hope that was a blessing to you.